0: It's like, you got to be this good to get past the Dodgers. Like, you could have stopped at Darvish, right? And oh, wow, this is a playoff team, right? Well, but what's a playoff team mean, right? You go to like they did last year to the NLDS and get swept, and it's not even close now. So you got to make yourself deep. I mean, look what's happened to them this year. The depth has been super important. They thought if they were healthy, the depth would be necessary to get past the Dodgers, but it certainly was a huge part of that. Hello, everybody, and welcome
1: to the Best Podcast in Baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch Baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by San Diego Union Tribune baseball writer and San Diego Padres beat writer Kevin Acey. We're both here in—well, I guess I should say we're both in the San Diego area. I've recently (laughs) learned I'm in the downtown area. You're back from a road trip to Mile High City, right?
0: Yeah, got back from Denver yesterday. The trip that uh, seemed like it would never end. My flight was delayed a couple hours after the, uh, and you've been through this, Derek. Uh, Padres have a bunch of players uh, waylaid by uh, COVID and contact tracing, and uh, it was was quite a trip. Yeah, I want to start there. What does that do for the roster? As the Padres
1: ready for this, uh, let's call it a rematch with the Cardinals. Uh, first time the Cardinals have been here since the uh, three-game playoff series that uh, ended so unceremoniously for them with nine shutout innings by nine different Padres.
0: It uh, changes things. It diminishes the, uh, at least from the Padres' perspective, the the rematch. I mean, the, the hero, obviously, being Fernando Tatis, uh, the home runs. Will Myers uh, had, had big game there, and both those guys are tested positive for COVID. And then you have two other regulars, Eric Hosmer, first baseman, contact tracing, and... Uh, Jerickson Profar, who is like the super utility guy, started – I was at 32 games uh, at three – four different positions. He's out contact tracing. And Jorge Mateo, one of their bench guys. So we're talking about five position players that are out for this series. How did it work? So
1: your experience covering that is so different than my experience because when that happened with the Cardinals, it was schedule over. Everything stopped stayed in their hotel rooms they set up mattresses to throw into and they they were gone for 17 days they were the the season moved on yeah and here is a situation where the padres have moved i mean they didn't miss (laughs) the
0: game no and my understanding is that they basically didn't lobby real hard for anything not that the commissioner would have granted for them to be able to pause but it never even got to that point is my understanding because they're like look we don't want the double headers later we think that we're set up right now good and and Don't discount the fact that they were playing the Rockies for two. And then after playing the Cardinals, they play the Rockies for three more. And then Tatis, Myers will be back in the middle of that Rockies series. Profar and Mateo will be back at the end of it. Hosmer will be back. And it's just like they had to weigh the pros and cons of, well, what? If we were to bang a couple games here in Colorado, when we come back of all the places to have to play double headers, a couple of them at that point, um, do we really want to do that? The answer was no. So they're moving forward and they're moving forward with (laughs) uh, a roster, at least what I watched in that double header, very similar to rosters of the past for the Padres. Uh, And what I mean by that is this is a really good team now with good players. Uh, they're not playing to their potential right now, but uh, offensively, but they got a lot of good players, and now it's a AAA roster with Manny Machado and a few other guys.
1: That it's remarkable, though, too, that their roster could could weather this. Yes, like that says something about how the forty man was constructed, or or did it require some um, some quickly spinning plates to pull it off?
0: Only a couple where they put guys on the 60 day and, uh, you know, and, and really it was uh, 40 man guys that weren't in the majors and they were able to, uh, to really just call guys up that were on the 40 man um, with a couple exceptions. Uh, and, and look, that is something that uh, they would be very pleased to hear you uh, say that because uh, look, the depth here is something that they boast about that they're very happy about. That was very intentional. They're in a division with the Dodgers who, you know, have, uh, made a, uh, you know, what, won eight division titles in a row by being able to plug and play guys at different spots. And and that's how the Padres, you know, at least envisioned, and I'm not trying to compare them to be at the Dodgers level quite yet, but uh, that's how they built their roster this year. And look, you're not gonna replace Fernando Tatis Jr. You're not gonna replace Will Myers. Eric Hosmer is playing as well as he has ever played over a, what, month and a half period uh, in terms of his production. And you're not going to replace those guys. You're just not. But yeah, you know, I mean, look, they, they took two or three in Colorado and Hosmer and Myers were pulled in the middle of that first game or Hosmer after they'd already built a big lead. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens here when they're facing uh, the Cardinals. But, you know, it, it's such a it is it's it's been such a bizarre 48 hours for me to even like comprehend. Wow. They're playing with a different team right now. Yeah.
1: And then the Cardinals, not only are they not going to see the best of the lineups when it comes to position players, but they're also not drawing a couple of the pitchers, right? I mean, they're not set to face Darvish or Snell. So it's definitely like, I mean, it almost has this vibe of a
0: captive (laughs) game with a long. (laughs) Yeah, it 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 sort of does. I'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the way that they're substituted, I mean, we have gone. We just jumped right. We jumped into like sort of National League, back to National League to the substitutions that were being made in Colorado, especially in two seven inning games, were remarkable. You could hardly keep track of, of where they were moving guys around. Uh, to Tucapito Marcano, one of their... Uh, you know, better prospects had a really good spring, but he's not supposed to be on the roster right now. He's starting it right, moving to second, moving to left. Um, they're doing, you know, all sorts of things. We got uh, in the one game, two pitchers, pinch hitting, four pitchers batting for themselves. First time in Padres history. It's been uh, kind of fun <laughs> to, uh, to, to see, because why shouldn't we just at least enjoy what we're doing uh, here? But it is very different now. You also, the uh, Cardinals uh, fans should understand, the the Cardinals are missing Blake Snell. Uh, Blake Snell is not very good right now. So uh, the 2018 Cy Young winner is having trouble finding the strike zone on a consistent basis. Now go back and look at these lines if you're curious. It's the most interesting four and two thirds or five and a third innings. It's not like he's getting blown up. He he's fantastic once he gets in trouble, but he's just taking 95 pitches to get through four and two thirds innings. Do you do you have a feel for how good the
1: Padres team is? Um, did you get a sense of that for the in the old uh, iron sharpens iron way in those series against the Dodgers?
0: Man, if they could play the Dodgers, if they could handle and, and look, y- you know what rivalry games are like and what they can take out of of teams, that was unbelievable playing the Dodgers seven times in ten games, and it brought out absolutely the best in the Padres. And you said, okay, They did it every way. They did it with the long ball. They did it manufacturing runs. They did it with pitching. And by the way, they're they're starting pitching somehow, uh, not giving enough innings, but it's been been pretty good. Their bullpen has been arguably the best in baseball and has shouldered so much of the burden here. Um, But they did it in every way, finding ways to win um, against the Dodgers. It was remarkable. Now, against other teams, uh, been sort of hit and miss. And the offense just hasn't been – it just has not been as good as advertised, as good as it should be based on who's in the lineup. They can't get guys going at the same time. And Manny Machado has not been very productive this year.
1: Mm. Well, and that, he's the one guy that's left. <laughs> him. But, you know, may, perhaps it's he can kind of spark things against the Cardinals. Do you – do you think that the Dodgers are not as robust as advertised or they're just uh, biding time for October? And and how does their struggles, how has that been received? Well, I guess struggles are relative. How has their hovering around 500 record been received in San Diego? Do, do they feel like the Dodgers are, Vulnerable, despite being the uh, the 120-win predicted team, the billion-dollar bunch?
0: I feel like the Padres felt they were vulnerable all along. And that's not to say there wasn't a legitimate, you know, uh, healthy respect for them, because you have to have that for that – Line up that pitching rotation. Uh, They've taken some hits. I don't know that there was a belief that their bullpen was really, you know, as strong as maybe some people thought it was. I, I think the Padres felt like, Hey, we got a shot at, at this NL West. Um, and certainly as, as you know, I mean, uh, you don't win the West. You, you, you could have what? You could have, a, let's say the Dodgers are as good as advertised or somewhere around it. And they they win 104 games and you're the second place team who wins 100 games and you got to play a play in game. I mean, like you got to play a wild card. It's basically a play in. The, that's like on the minds of everybody in the NL West. I suppose it's on the mind of every team, but it's, it's on the mind of. of If you're the Padres, uh, you're going, we got to win this thing if we really want to have a shot. They keep talking about playing the Dodgers in the playoffs. It's like, you know, uh, they play nine times in September or nine times at the end of August, September. Those are going to be playoff games is what I think everybody's anticipating and that they're going to mean something to the the Padres. What were those games like in person? I mean, watching from
1: afar, they were riveting.
0: Um, Well, I'll just take newspaper deadlines aside and the fact that a 4pm Pacific game uh, ended up uh, with me rewriting my story like three times on the deadline as they came back from six runs down in the final three innings to win in uh, 11. Um, But anyway, uh, enough about me. Uh, um, it was. And I'll tell you to have fans back in it, Derek, you, you traveled last year, you, you know, there was some tense games, gosh, the Cardinals, what they were able to do last year. I'm sure that 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 was uh, really cool to cover and to see, but without fans, sometimes you just lost track of it, right? Like it was, you, you, you could get engrossed in it, but then you you just there were moments and especially for the Padres and, and somebody coming to the Padres and knowing how how starved the fans here were for a team like the Padres are now. it was like, ah oh, well this year like at Dodger Stadium, it was and, and and certainly in San Diego where they just are consumed with their hatred of the Dodgers um and it was as intense as I have experienced because I don't get to cover a lot of playoff games. (laughs) Um, so, and, and and they were just, you could tell for the players and and talking to them afterward, it was confirmed. They were exhausting. And that's what I kind of referred to before. Like if they could, if they could survive playing the Dodgers every day, the Potters would be a really good team. Hmm.
1: I I wanted to ask you about that actually towards the end. So we'll just, we'll just jump to the topic. We'll move topics around here. Um, (laughs) Because you traveled to all the games last year, um, one, of the, one of the few riders that did, um, and mm-hmm. that meant flying around, uh, unlike, I was able to drive around until having to go to that playoff series, um, just because of the nature of the mm-hmm. geographic side the teams played in. But for you, that meant flying around, um, it also meant seeing a team sort of emerge as not mm-hmm. just a contender, but a sensation all while very few people got to watch that in person. How did that influence your coverage of it? And how did you get kind of a response from the fans that you were seeing something in person that was basically something they yearned to
0: see for what, more than a decade? There was a lot of uh, gratitude, really. Last year was very as you know, is exhausting. It was, it it was like, wow, that was only 60 games. It it just felt like longer, but it was very gratifying too to be able to be the one to bring a few things that you maybe couldn't see on TV or whatever. And I, I tried to always throw in as much as I could to, to, you know, a give people what they, you know, give people a little more flavor of this incredible team. And also to justify the fact that I was uh, going around everywhere. Uh, but, but I got the, the gratitude um, from, from a lot of people of, of, you know, and some of it, gosh, well, all I was doing was my job, but, but, but thank you for bringing them uh, this Thing that they had waited for so long it's it's hard to explain I have such reverence for St. Louis for the fans for the Cardinals uh, history um it's so I'm, I'm imagining it's hard to understand how long fans had waited here gosh it took them three quarters of a season to believe it was happening because of so many collapses so many so much you know uh, promises that had not come to fruition and especially I, I do this newsletter which which is uh it, 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 i get a lot more email feedback on that and that as you know Derek is different than twitter feedback yeah. and 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 it's it's more thoughtful and oftentimes it's more positive and it's fans that have been fans for a long time and i'm not saying that people on twitter haven't been fans for a long time but but you're just getting maybe a, a different demographic and it was very gratifying for me and drove home for me how important it is what i do is to a lot of people and what i say what i do is you know bringing this information and a little insight um, about the team, it, it really was and it was just a great reminder because sometimes you you do forget if all you look at is Twitter do you did you feel like that also heightened
1: the anticipation for this season as well particularly I oh. guess moves were part of it but the fact that they could not attend games last year oh. did that heightened things for this
0: year? I hope you get to see it tonight just so that you, you can, and that maybe it's then for the fans back in St. Louis, it's on television. It maybe comes across a little bit. Um, It, it absolutely did. And the way that I'll I'll say, not only just like the anticipation, but then when it, when the game started, it's a different crowd in San Diego now, maybe not so much for when the pirates were in town, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, but uh, just because, you know, Hey, I don't know. (laughs) That's the pirates. Um, the fans are so much more into it now. See, for so long, the game experience in San Diego was about the graphics and the videos. And then the Padres marketing department did a magnificent job. I thought they were among the best in the majors uh, as someone who goes around to all the parks. I, I thought that was the case. And it was because they had to be because oh. the product on the field stunk. OK, and and you had a certain amount of. Um, you know, amount of people there that were there to bring the family that were there to drink beers that were there for Cub Scout night, baseball night, faith night, you know, whatever, pride night, whatever it was, right. And now, especially with limited uh, uh, capacity and availability of tickets, it feels like people are there to watch baseball. Now that might sound like I'm speaking a foreign language to people in St. Louis, but that's not always been the case in San Diego. And it has been So like energizing for the players uh, and for me uh, to, and I'm assuming for the fans too. And and that's what reflecting and what I'm hearing from them, that it's a different vibe here. Hmm. What what was it
1: like when Mosgrove took the field after the no-hitter? Was that, because that was on the road. So it wasn't like a moment that I mean, imagine if that had been at home. That's what I kept thinking. Of. <laughs> like, imagine if that like the first no hitter in club history had come at home by a hometown boy. Um, but you know, the reception that he got, How how does that offer kind of an illustration of what you're talking about?
0: Well, there was a pregame ceremony and it was interesting that the Dodgers and their 7,000 no hitters that they were um, looking on. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and they were watching this club. Uh, it was before the opener of their, you know, before their first game of the season against each other. And they're watching this uh, stadium, the owner of the team, uh, Joe Musgrove and his family out there, the you know, AJ Preller, Jace Tingler out there. And they gave him a, a big framed photo with, uh, you know, a big frame with a scorecard a photo a uh, copy of uh, my story actually uh, the page of the paper and and it was people were going nuts. Now he's a hometown guy too. And he has embraced it. He has embraced it. And it's legit. His family had season tickets. He was a huge Jake Peavy guy. He changed his number. Chris Paddock had his number 59 um, from when he was with the pirates. And so now he wears 44 Jake Peavy's number. I mean, it's not just like, Oh, he was from here. He is a San Diego boy. And I got to tell you, I knew how important it was to the hardcore fan, Uh but I now can't even imagine what a world series championship is going to be like here because it, it was, that no hitter was celebrated here. It really was something I I can hard. I mean, it really was so important to this (laughs) franchise that just hasn't had a whole lot of stuff like that. Do you get the sense that some of
1: the moves that they made while fortifying for that? fortifying them for the division race against, you know, the, the behemoth of the national league um, were it all intended to also make them better in October that it wasn't just, uh, is that, was that a guiding light for them?
0: I think you can absolutely, but you also then have to, what the first part of your question or the, you know, what you said there about the behemoth, it's like, you gotta be this good to get past the Dodgers. Like, mm-hmm. you could have stopped at Darvish, right? Oh, wow. This is a playoff team, right? Well, but what's a playoff team mean, right? You go to like they did last year to the NLDS and get swept, and it's not even close. Now, they had injuries, but hey, injuries are going to happen. So you got to make yourself deep. I mean, look what's happened to them this year. They did all this, and Musgrove has struggled the last three starts, and um, Snell isn't doing very well. And Paddock was out with COVID for uh, two starts. And, you know, so the depth has been super important. They thought if they were healthy, the depth would be necessary to get past the Dodgers, but it certainly was a huge part of that. So then, yes, of course, This, the first thing that Larry Rothschild said to me was, this is the kind of rotation that can win playoff series. So it was clearly on his mind, and Larry Rothschild, the pitching coach, has been involved in a number of playoff series. So Mm -hmm. I consider him an expert, unlike many people around San Diego.
1: (laughs) Wait, wait, an expert on pitching or an expert on playoff
0: series? Playoff series. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe both, but playoff series was my. Thank you I, I intentionally meant playoff series. That's pretty good. I should I should
1: probably count up the number of playoff games I've covered to see uh, how that compares. That's funny. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, it, to put it in perspective for Cardinal fans, the, you know, really before last year when the when the Padres took two of three from the Cardinals, the final two of that three game series to advance to the bubble in Texas. Um, the last time that they had been in the playoffs was against the Cardinals when, you know, what Ronnie Belliard had his play in in in, uh, in shallow right field. And, you know, was it long enough ago that Mike Piazza was the Padres catcher?
0: Yes. Yes, it was. And those were not those two years in a row. And, and it yeah. was here's the thing that I was covering the Chargers at the time. Um, and uh, so I remember, though there was no expectation in San Diego whatsoever that the Potters were getting past the Cardinals those years. That's the difference, right? I mean, like, yeah. and, and, you know, you, not only was that the last time they were in, you know, the last time they won a playoff series before that was the NLCS oh. in 1998. That's the last yeah. time they actually won a series in the playoffs. And um, then
1: went for four against the Yankees in the there,
0: well, both times they've been to the World Series, it'd be great if one one time they just got a, a, you know, if it'd be great if one time they got a Texas Rangers instead of the 1984 Detroit Tigers and the 1998 <laughs> Yankees. You got to be kidding me! Yeah. Um, yeah. I grew yeah. up in San Diego, and I I grew up a Yankees fan, and I became a Padres fan on the night. Uh, that Steve Garvey hit the walk-off in game four of the NLCS. And that's just a little something to tell you about. Like That's how long it's been. That's 1984, and I was 13. And that's how a lot of fans came uh, to be Padres fans. And if that answers your question, maybe how a guy who's actually a Dodger and bleeds Dodger Blue has his number retired for the Padres. That's both uh, how important that moment was and how sad our history is that Steve Garvey's number six is retired because of that moment that's a ama- that's the that would be akin to like the
1: cardinals and then maybe it happens but i don't know but retiring david freeze's number if david freeze was from chicago and the cubs
0: there you go i mean very good Derek. i mean because it's amazing and hey to steve's credit he still has a place here um yeah. and all but he doesn't make any bones about the fact that like like he's a dodger man what do you think he's, he's not going in the hall of fame but there's a little bit of rumbling up there that you know hey this guy and he was a heck of a player but to what cap do you think he'd be wearing but we retired his number <laughs> that's amazing wow um everybody knows of the Cardinals
1: connection to the superstar on the team it's it's you know a familiar name uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. obviously Fernando Tatis had a historic uh, moment inning with the uh, with the Cardinals um, but also the Cardinals scouted and and you know his dad lobbied the Cardinals to sign him and it's a bit of a a bit of a legend that'll only grow um, they did not sign him, but then went searching for somebody like him several times over the, over the following years. But there's more to the Padres and their Missouri ties than just Fernando Tatis Jr. The two guys running the dugout both have <laughs> show me state roots. Yeah. you got Gib Schumacher, who is the assistant manager, which is an interesting title, <laughs> and uh, Jace Tingler, who played for Mizzou um, and played for Tim Jameson. Um, There in Columbia. How does that setup work?
0: So so Skip is like a is a bench coach, basically, because the bench coach is Bobby Dickerson, who's also the infield coach and the third base coach. He was and and Skip was the associate manager and for all intents and purposes was the bench coach last year uh, in Bobby's first year. The deal is, you know, Bobby was coaching infield for the Phillies. He was uh, highly coveted and needed to have a title in order to, to come here. So that, you know, that's that's the deal there. Skip a is the play, bench man. coach. Yeah. yeah. Now, Bobby, I mean, I can't say enough about Bobby. Another reason Bobby Diggerson was brought here is his ties. He coached Manny Machado not only at the Orioles, but back when Manny was in minor leagues. And there's a lot of people in this organization that say that Manny's resurgence, because 2019 was not great, uh, is a lot due to Bobby. And I've seen it firsthand that Bobby Dickerson is, is like a Manny whisperer and he gets the best <laughs> out of Manny Machado. I couldn't think more highly of Skip, and I, I think you know why. Uh, he's just an old-school guy. He c- talks about the Cardinal way, and he lives it. And I believe he's a manager in the making, and I sure hope so for ba- the good of baseball. Uh, and I think very highly of Jace, too. And and I've been to Smithville, Missouri, and uh, I'm a big fan of small-town Missouri, and I believe that it, it shapes a person, and that's who Jace Tingler is. I just tell you, you know, the other day uh, at Coors, Field uh, before the game. He's on the phone out there by himself at Coors Field. It's a beautiful day. And I got to tell you, like this guy every single day has a smile on his face is up. And I mean, as you know, like managers now are different than their role and and all the decision-making. It's not the manager. It's not just the manager. I don't care what team you're on anymore. Um, But I think a big part of their role is, you know, being the the, the the cheerleader the CEO the the guy who uh, keeps everybody up and they're going through this in Colorado and you wouldn't have known anything about it by watching Jace Tingler. and I talked to him a lot and I'm telling you he's just the same guy all the time uh, his mom's in the Missouri uh, Sports Hall of Fame uh, she was an excellent uh, basketball coach uh, she's the same way she got it from I mean I just I couldn't think more highly of these two guys that have these uh, Missouri connections. And I'm not just saying that. I hope I expressed why that I do. I just think that they are both excellent and they're really good baseball people too. They really are. Do you think there is some influence then
1: from, and maybe it comes through skip, but from the Cardinal, let's say Cardinal way of doing things, not Cardinal way on the Padres. Do you, do you
0: see some elements of that? There's a lot more Rangers way um, because that's where Jace came from and Preller and, and several other people, but you don't talk to skip very often without a, a Duncan or Larusa, a Cardinal way, a pool uh, you know, a, a anybody uh, and Edmonds, you don't, you don't talk to skip very often without getting something. And, and so, and just by the way he goes about his business, if that weren't enough, but the words that he says, let you know where, you know, where he was basically born and bred for baseball purposes. Yes. For a
1: long time, Jace was thought of as
0: kind of um,
1: sort of in the same way that you described Skip, kind of as a prospect, you know, a manager prospect in the, in the same way, to be honest, Mike Schilt was, where he was moving up the system with some of the Cardinals prospects and he was quietly a prospect all on his own. How have you seen uh, Jace evolve as a manager and improve? I mean, he was given – his first car was the ninth <laughs> portion available, um, yeah. you know, i mean he uh he inherited quite or not inherited, but he had quite a team for his first time. How have you've seen him kind of um guess grow in the role?
0: his communication uh both you know publicly but but with players, his knowing when to not say a few things or say things uh but I'll tell you he he hit the ground running he's first off, as you know, anybody who replaces a manager. Who at the end had not been maybe so beloved in in the clubhouse has you know has a leg up right because yeah. Yeah. the guys are going to be on their best behavior they're going to be grateful that it's not the previous guy and, and that was the case with with some of the players and Andy Green who's now the bench coach for the Cubs and by the way is you know ask anyone is thought of as a, a fantastic baseball guy um, Tony Larizza but J- well, there you go. Well, that's how he got the job here. Basically. I mean, yep. that's one of the big things. And uh, uh, anyway, he's a great baseball guy. I think Jason's is a really smart baseball guy too, but he has these like communication skills where he, he sits down with a cup of coffee and and talks with the guys. I mean, from the first day of spring training back, remember when we could go in the clubhouse yep. uh, and you know, you saw this and now I see it out on the field and also, If you didn't know who the manager of the Padres was and you just showed up, you'd say, is, is that guy the quality control coach carrying the bag of balls? Is that guy, who's the guy pushing the uh, pitching machine? That's Chase Tingler. That's the manager. What? I mean, it, like he is just out there. And I wrote a story this uh spring and I believe players that I talked to uh, for it were, we telling the truth guys from other clubs. And believe me, there's a lot of guys from other clubs. This isn't like the young Padres bringing up their past prospects. Like we thought it would be, there's like, you know, uh, let's go pre this COVID uh, breakout here of the 26 guys on the roster, like 22 weren't here a year ago. All right. Oh. So they, they talked about how Bobby Dickerson, Skip, uh, Wayne Kirby, Jace, they, they coach in a way that is like high school football and is um, fundamentals. And, and they're like, you know what? That's like really good for us because you get to the majors and a lot of times they're like, Oh, you're major league ball players. And, and that, well, that doesn't mean we know everything about baseball or that we don't forget certain things. And like, that's Jace. Like, honestly, oh. this guy would be in, in uh, and obviously the Padres are who I cover, but I've been through a few manager regimes where I I know how things were done. I, I did cover baseball a couple other teams back in the day. And the way that Jace goes about his business is is very different than I have seen before. I'm not saying it's unprecedented or, you know, there aren't other guys like it, um, but. The way he goes about his business is like a real hardcore, but, but also like relaxed. And look, you said it, he was given a Porsche, man. He overdrives this thing that's on him, right? Like just let these guys play, um, make the moves, trust your coaches they brought around him. They brought around Jace a lot of really experienced coaches, uh, and so he really lets them, in particular, Larry Rothschild, um, mm-hmm. he really lets them guide their their own group.
1: When you say that he worked, you know, you saw him change kind of his communication, and everything like that. How much did that come from the 3-0 Grand Slam? If I'm
0: <laughs>
1: It was did in that... my,
0: uh, it was in my, it was in my head when I said it, and um, I thought he was a little unfairly. He didn't mean the way that it came out. Right. He, he, right. he was asked a question about what um, the, the Rangers were upset. Uh, Tatis did get a little talking to there on the bench and he was asked a question and he said his problem with it was that he was given the take sign. And that's important to Jay Stingler. All right. I mean, if yeah. you're going to do things the right way, you're going to do things the right way. Now, It didn't go over as badly internally as many of the experts, Twitter experts, uh, maybe even media experts thought. There was never a rift in the clubhouse. Nobody who'd been around Jace Tingler and this team, by the way, spent more time together. They might have come up against maybe, uh, they were checking with MLB constantly during the MLB shutdown to see exactly what they could do. They had like 25 guys in San Diego working out during the shutdown. Wow. They were they were together a lot, and so to think that because Jace maybe stepped on it a little bit in a post game Zoom interview in Texas was going to tear this team apart um, was was a ridiculous notion. However, they weren't exactly his bosses weren't uh, some of his players weren't uh, pleased with how much he, or how little he stuck up for Fernando. So they made the rare move of having a pre-game, the Padres do not do day game after night game uh, manager interviews. He came and he made a statement and it was very strong. And since then, you would have to put a knife to uh, you know his gut to get Jay Tingler to to say anything less than gl- you know glowing support absolute unequivocal support of any one of his players so yes that is one way his public proclamations of support for his players are unwavering in the light of uh Fernando Tatís Jr's 3-0 grand slam in Texas last August during spring
1: training with Tatís obviously you know, they signed him to the record deal, um, basically, the, the opportunity for him to be a padre for the length of his career, um, one of the richest contracts ever, especially mm-hmm. when you consider extensions. Um, that makes for quite an expensive infield that they have here <laughs> uh, Machado, Hosmer, and Tatis. And yet, I don't think we think of San Diego as a big market or even like a huge you know, television market for rights fees from, you know, a Cardinals perspective where they have, um, I think, you know, they've had as many, well, they haven't even had as many contracts that big in their history as the Padres have in their infield. Um, And yet are, um, you know, I think right now 10th in payroll, um, top third in payroll. How can the Padres kind of sustain this model or, you know, how can they, Basically, spend beyond their market,
0: or are they? Yeah. Well, they well, first off, I want to say they need to get the Rockies to pay one of their players uh, a majority <laughs> yeah. of their salary. But um, their owner, hard. what happened is, and 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 a lot of credit needs to go to their their executive chairman for the last six or the previous six years, Ron Fowler. He changed the way of, of thinking and the uh, you know they, he spent a lot of money too. He authorized the spending of a lot of money. He has a very aggressive general manager. And the Padres changed the way of, of doing things. They signed Manny Machado. Heck, they signed Will Myers to the richest contract in, two, uh, in club history in 2017. Eric Cosmer to the richest contract in club history in 2018. Manny Machado to the richest contract in club history in 2019. So they spent money. Yeah. Well, Peter, Peter Seidler, who, by the way, is uh, the grandson of Walter O'Malley, the nephew of Peter O'Malley, who uh, those two men ran the Dodgers uh, for what, 60 years or 50 years. Uh, he is now, he has bought out a portion of Ron Fowler, uh, portion of the team. Uh, Ron Fowler is sort of semi-retired now. And um, Peter has decided, the bottom line is, I'm going to have fun with this civic entity that I've been given. I believe that That is what an owner is supposed to do. He's one of the most earnest men that you will ever meet. Uh, He is very enthusiastic. And his basic thought is that, uh, yeah, I got a lot of equity in this team, right? Like every owner does. Um, And maybe this isn't going to work out as well as I think, but I'm still going to make a boatload of money when I sell this team, Um, if, if I ever do, right? And so where... You know, most owners, let's say, are not thinking that way. Peter has decided we can do this. We are not. We're the eighth largest city. We're the 27th TV market. We're the eighth largest city. We can do this. Um, Now, there are many in baseball. There are some in the organization that wonder, is this sustainable? And what happens if this doesn't work out? Because you're not getting the immediate infusion of Ticket, parking, concession, revenue, gate revenue uh, because of the pandemic. You're having right. to wait for that. Right. And so you're behind the eight ball from the start. And then, look, the truth is about San Diego fans, as much as I've raved about how they're uh, you know, in love with the Padres and they are our only major team left. And, and that's awesome. You know, we got a lot to do here. And we got, despite what you're looking outside your window right now, we got great weather. And, you know, we have people from all over the country. We got Cardinals fans here. We got Cubs fans. We got Dodger fans. We got a bunch of people that moved from places that aren't as awesome as San Diego. My point is the Padres have to win. So what happens if they don't and they got all these high price contracts? There's going to be problems. There's going to be a lot to pay here. But Peter Seidler has decided that, you know, that's OK and they can make this work find that the contrast
1: fascinating in this regard in the sense that the Cardinals and their fans, unrightfully so, were were rather hungry for about the last decade since Albert Pujols left for a star, for like a star contract, for why couldn't they, why didn't they pursue Max Scherzer? Why did they just let that one go? Why didn't they, after trading for Goldschmidt, make a run at uh, Harper? Um, You know, this notion that like Stanton wouldn't come to the Cardinals, um, Hayward (laughs) to the Cubs, you know, it really left this, this sense that are they still a desirable place to go, but it also really crystallized the notion that the Cardinals see, okay, look, we're selling the notion of contention and our Mm -hmm. stars may not be as bright or as Madison Avenue as other teams, because we're selling the notion that the laundry is going to contend, and that that's Mm -hmm. where they should be measured is by how often the sum of all parts, mm-hmm. not the star of stars, gets to the postseason. Whereas the Padres kind of gone some what different: get the stars and then see if it contends. Sell the stars, right? Like have yep. marquee names to come here and then see if you put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the things that the Cardinals would say is that that leads to um, additional spending. Cause you're constantly spending to backfill or you're constantly spending because if something goes wrong, you cannot lose within this window of having mm-hmm. big stars. And I find that contrast fascinating. Am I, or am I, am I missing
0: it? No, you, you, well, you're at least voicing what, you know, like I said, some even in the organization and certainly around baseball are like, okay, once you go down this road, you're, you're committed to it, or else it's going to be a colossal failure, right? Because right. stuff's going to happen, and oh, well, wait a minute. We can't just let this team flounder right now. We can't let this team flounder while we have Manny and Tatis. We, you know, that that's a we can't do that. Oh, we got you, Darvish, for uh, another couple of years if he's still pitching like he is now, which is maybe better than ever. We, wait a minute. Oh no, we're going to have to go out and get another guy. Wait a minute. <laughs> like yeah. I said. Um, you know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to win for this to 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 work. So now the other thing is and you brought it up before like yes this is this roster was constructed to go deep in the playoffs but I don't know if they go get Joe Musgrove the third piece of the starting rotation that they added this offseason say if they're in the NL Central, you know, um where they didn't you, maybe it's not projected that you need 104 wins to to win the division. So, but now maybe they wait until the trade deadline and say, "Okay, now we think we need this extra piece." Uh, but they're they knew that they needed to get going right from the start. Plus, yes, the star power uh, it, it 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 does matter. They're they're not uh, the Cardinals can afford to do a certain thing based on history, based on the core that they have had. The Padres really needed to do something radical.
1: Cardinals needed to, too, too, this year. And they (laughs) recognized that when they had a chance to get Arenado, And they were like, well, we need, you know, uh, talking to the president of baseball operations, he said that that he recognized that that was a move that had to be made because otherwise the the perception that they weren't willing to do a big move would last and, Mm. show up in ticket sales especially coming back from the pandemic And he said that was a a real that was a real concern because he he felt that vibe and he also felt it from ownership ownership was like you know we we have to have some star power it's it's been too long and you can't hang everything on the history of adam wainwright and you know yadier molina um coming back you can't have these have legacy be the only reason for people to come to the ballpark and you know, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, is a guy who they they want to build around, obviously, and have for a while, but they they wanted some verve, some excitement, and so Arenado fit that bill, which, you know, the description you just gave brings me to the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, like we talked about last year, you got to see the Padres become Slam Diego and this sensation and all the electricity that surrounded them, and then, of course, they go off and win the offseason in a lot of ways. Um, certainly the Cardinals and the Padres are two of the teams that had the most um, big moves, I guess, of the offseason, especially as the Padres added um, tremendous pitching to their to their group there with Darvish and Snell. Um, I wonder how you think the Padres handled the notion of not being a surprise, but actually having expectations.
0: That's new. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and so far not great. Okay, um, I, I like I said, I covered uh, the NFL for twelve years, and and so the mentality of every game and all that. And now I, I love personally that I now get to view this this novel uh, of, a, of a of a season in, in Major League uh-huh. Baseball. So I'm not going to put too much in this small sample size, but not well so far. And I thought it was really interesting. I forget who it was, but you know the Brewers came here and swept them. The Padres yeah. have been talking about getting everybody's best so not only did they run into Burns and Woodward right um and you know uh they they are uh, Woodruff I'm sorry I was thinking of uh, Woodward and Bernstein uh but they yeah. uh they, they got the Cardinals best and the Cardinals were down Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain um and afterward there were a couple Cardinals players and I forget who they were but talked about the Brewers. The Brewers. The, I'm sorry Brewers players thank you so much that talked about so it's clearly on their mind, no matter how much you spend, you still got to go out and play and every team can uh, win in any series. And it's like, huh? Huh? Yeah, I guess so. And the Padres have known they were going to be chased and it wasn't like last year, or at least their veteran players knew it. And it, it hasn't been great this year that that's about where we're at. It just hasn't been great. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh It's a real
1: interesting thing that, say, the Washington Nationals went through, because there's a huge difference between declaring yourself a World Series contender and actually being one. And, you know, you often declare yourself one in March, but there are 162 games between now and Hmm. then to actually become one. And, you know, you can't just throw your gloves out there, your paychecks out there, or your, you know, jersey sales out there to win games, which you know, is sort of a step that a lot of teams have to make. And we probably saw the Cubs, you know, the Cubs, the dynasty that never happened, right? They Ooh, them, yeah. got a title, um, but they didn't even win that many divisions in a row. Um, So that's, that's what I wondered is like, how you see this Padres team sort of embracing, or maybe, maybe, maybe embracing is the wrong word, maybe bracing themselves right. for the notion that they're uh their, their expectations are high and they're no, no longer
0: a secret. It's been, a, it, it, like I said, it just hasn't started well. I still believe and, and like Manny Machado is, is playing as, as hard as uh, passionately as many people have ever seen him. Uh, Eric Hosmer is a presence in, in the clubhouse on the team. And like I said, his performance, um, I believe they have a lot of guys. That are going to make this make them step up. But so far that has not happened. And I believe that what you're talking about is a really important thing
1: three game series for the Cardinals against a diluted Padres roster. Uh, Hopefully by the time San Diego makes that swing to St. Louis. It'll probably have more of a playoff feel because the teams will be more whole at that point. Um, but still, it's three-game series, showcase night there on ESPN. Two teams who faced each other in last year's playoffs and two teams who expect to be uh, in each other's way in the forthcoming playoffs. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design in St. Louis. Can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1 800 by design today. That's 1 800 B Y D E S I G N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, it's also available on SCLtoday.com, along with all of the constant Cardinals coverage. You can find Kevin Acey at the San Diego Union Tribune, or follow him on Twitter at S-D-U-T Kevin Acey. That's A-C-E-E. So S-D-U-T Kevin Acey. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great chance to talk. and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I am now getting to some of these other cities this year, as I'm yeah. sure you are. Um, and we're starting to see fans, um, more and more fans. And I'm, I'm really eager to see. I uh, wish maybe I was coming here to San Diego later in the year so I could see a yeah. full
0: Yeah, June 15th in California, it looks like. Uh, but it, I think I that think people will be pumped for this series and you're going to enjoy the vibe.
1: That's good, that's good. And then uh, back for October, where there'll, be, uh, where there'll be even more, whether it's the World Series or, say, the Cardinals. Program, and you can have a complete, um, full house um, with them celebrating what is really one of the more charismatic teams.
0: Appreciate it, Derek.
1: For Kevin A.C. of the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. We'll talk to you soon.